there. This is Laura Zam, and this is Sexual Healing Central. Today, I am here with award-winning novelist and short story writer, Leslie Petrick, and she's going to talk to us about writing prompts, writing prompts as a way to actually get into our soul. So stay tuned. We're back. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to Sexual Healing Central. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. So we're going to kind of jump right in here. So, But first, I just want to, I'm going to read a little bio just so people know who you are, and then I'll I'll just get a little orientation that I'm going to ask you to lead us in in telling us a bit more about writing prompts. So Leslie Petrick, she is the author of DC stories. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the longer podcast. Um, it, the book is called Admit This to No One. And uh, it was just released. It's been called Insidery, Insightful, and Deftly Executed by Washingtonian <laughs> Magazine. And more accolades are, are coming every single day. It's an awesome book. She's the author of three novels, including Silver Girl, published by Unnamed Press. Her first uh, collection of short stories. That was her first collection of short stories. And uh, no, her first short uh, collection of short stories. Sorry, Angel on My Chest won the 2015 Drew Hines Literary Prize and was published by University of Pittsburgh Press. Short fiction essays have appeared in Plowshares, Story Magazine, Southern Review, uh, Gettysburg Review, I Review, many, many others, Washington Post Magazine. Oh my, she is the winner of a Pushcart Prize. Extremely prestigious award, a creative arts prize from Polish American Historical <laughs> Society. Uh, many, many fellowships from Breadloaf and Swanee and Hermitage and uh, all kinds of all kinds of prizes. Um, international retreat at Hawthornden Castle in Scotland. Oh my God, <laughs> Leslie! It is such a privilege to have you here. How are uh, you? I'm excited. I am great. Thank you, Laura. Excited to talk about um, writing, which is my favorite topic to talk about, and uh, talking about prompt writing is especially close to my heart. So I'm I'm thrilled. Awesome. Can you tell us what is prompt writing? Well, a prompt, just in the most generic sense is that um, sort of people would imagine a writer might just sit down, have an idea in their head, say, I'm going to write this story. I'm going to write this whole book and just start writing. But a prompt would sort of take away that um, actually, or sort of adds parameters or adds um, structure to the writer's mind and helps maybe uncover things that the writer may not know or that are there, but that's how it works with me. So a, a teacher might offer a prompt. Everybody in the class would write to say my favorite birthday. Everybody writes, you know, for 15 minutes or writes a story at home, whatever, something like that. And so to be honest, for a long time, I was kind of snobby about prompt writing. I thought I'm a writer. I don't need some other weird ideas. I can come up with my own ideas. You know, nobody needs to tell me what to write about. Um, But now uh, that was that was 
10 years ago. Now I've been meeting monthly with a, a prompt group. Um, we write to prompts once a month and I am such a convert. I would say that at least 50% of the book that Laura just held up, admit this to no one, um, is based in prompt writing. That is, wow. um, I started with nothing. We had a prompt and then it created something. And I'll tell you a little bit about my neighborhood prompt group with that work, Laura? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. And maybe just a uh, just to backtrack a tiny bit to explain sort of why I decided to start this prompt group when I was very snobby about prompt writing. And the situation was that I was in kind of a, a dark night of the soul with my writing career. Nothing was getting published. Everybody except me had a book out, you know, stories were getting rejected. I was really doubting myself. It was really a hard time. And I wanted to do something to remind myself why I started writing in the first place as, you know, the, the, the book loving um, girl who wanted to create stories. And I wanted to find, find that joy in writing again. And I thought, how can I do that? And I thought I would just collect um, random people, kind of random people from my neighborhood listserv who all wanted to just explore their creative side. We would meet, meet once a month at a coffee shop, hours, a very low stress, um, low pressure, and we would do writing prompts together as a group and read them or not read them. And I, I, was setting it up. I got to do exactly what I want. And I realized that one of the reasons I maybe was a little bit um, snobby about writing prompts is that I didn't like writing prompts that said my favorite birthday, for example. Oh. I didn't like to be directed. I liked really mm -hmm. open-ended writing prompts. And so in my group, I said, I said to myself, I'm just going to do something really open-ended. We're just going to write to a word, like an evocative word. So for example, birthday. Suddenly to me, that just felt open with possibilities, not my favorite birthday, but just a birthday, the worst birthday, a birthday cake, birthday suit, like all kinds of things with just one word. And I sort of set up the structure that we would write to the one word for 15 minutes. Then we get a new word, a totally different word. And we could either start a new piece or we could just incorporate that second word into the piece. And, and what quickly became apparent is that um, we... It, just because you start with the word birthday, it doesn't mean your piece is going to even be about birthday, that you can just use that as a launch pad. And the same with incorporating the word, the second word. You don't suddenly have to switch gears 100%. And the thing that I love about the writing prompt group and the thing that um, brought the joy back to me was that I have been in a very high powered, um, very intense critique group and which I learned so much from and benefited immensely. But I honestly, I just was tired in this dark soul of the nighttime. I just was tired of hearing all the things that were wrong. I just didn't want that anymore. And so in the prompt group, we only say nice things. We find affirmations 
We ask questions, maybe. We say, this makes me think of that. Or we, because we know each other now for 10 years, we remember previous things that people have written. And we're just, we're very open. And there's, there's nothing more amazing than writing in a group of people, all writing to the same word that you are, um, looking up, seeing them scribbling away. And then at the end, hearing that everyone has done something totally different with the exact same word. And we don't, we don't have to share. I mean, that's always optional. So what I like about that is if you want to write something very close and personal, you can, you can try that and understand that you don't have to share if you don't want to, but also to know that if you do write it and you decide to share, you will be greeted with within a supportive, nurturing environment where people want to hear what you read and want to understand the space that you are coming from in your writing. And so in our meetings, we range from things that are hilarious, things that are dark and true and sad. I have um, people write about their real life. People make things up. People write about something that happened to them yesterday. People write about something that happened when they were six years old. We just see everything. And sometimes things aren't very good. But you know what? That's okay. You just spent half an hour writing. You know, how much can you really expect of yourself? But sometimes things are stunning. I mean, there's nothing like hearing people read, someone read their piece and the whole group is just silent in awe. And we all know that that writer really found something and shared it with us. It's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, I started writing in a prompt group. That's how I became a writer. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very transformative just having we were doing uh, we were doing timed writing and uh, and prompts and yeah the freedom of it but you know what what you're saying also makes me think I recently did a um, I was involved in a program where we were working with frontline workers using writing as a healing modality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we were doing some prompts with them as well and it. It really was. Um, it was very interesting to to have them start one place and then have that permission to just let it go and for things to emerge. Um, it really was a, a very very interesting interesting um, experience. Just moving on a little bit, I wanted to I wanted to find out a little bit more about you as a writer. So how did you? How did that happen for you? Uh-huh. Well, I uh, I grew up as one of those kids who loved to read and always, you know, came walking to school with the book in front of my face. So um, it was it was reading. So I'm I'm very happy. My parents, you know, had had books for me, and we went to the library a lot. And then it was in um, in first grade, actually, where a writer visited our little first grade classroom. Our teacher read read aloud to us like 15 minutes every day or something. And she read a book by a local writer. The book is Hildy and the Cuckoo Clock by Ruth Christopher Carlson. I just loved it. You know, I thought it was so amazing. And then that writer came to our class and, you know, did some little talk or whatever about being a writer to a bunch of first graders. But I literally remember sort of connecting like, oh, I love these books. That person 
wrote this book that I love, I could be a person to write books. And then I was just always the person, the kid who was, I was writing uh, and wrote the dark, bad poetry with no capital letters, uh, wrote a little novel, you know, that was like five pages long. Just any, any time something involved writing, I would, I would sign up for it or go there, do that. So I, I've always wanted to be a writer, which I feel, um, is lucky for me to have known that early, early on, you know, I know a lot of people cast around trying to figure out where, where they want their place in the world to be. And I had that, um, I want to be a writer. I want to be, I want to be surrounded by books. (laughs) I want to know people who write books. I want to talk to people who love books. I want to think about how books can make a difference in people's lives. So I feel really lucky to be a writer. Now, all that said, it doesn't mean it's like a a rose, a a garden, a pathway strewn with rose petals to get to be a writer, as I'm sure many people know, but I wouldn't trade this life for anything. It's it's magical. Oh, magical is is a great, great, a, a great way to describe one's life and one's vocation. What, uh, speaking of, um, magical i suppose mm-hmm. uh, do you feel like and also healing which is the mm-hmm. the topic of of the podcast do you feel like writing has healed you in any way i i think that writing has um saved me books have saved me um i don't know that i don't know that i personally could point to a thing specific thing that I needed to heal from. But what I do know is that if I had not been able to write, if I had not found that outlet um, when I was writing those dark poems when I was 13, and um, I, I don't know who I would have been. I don't know who I would have been if I had not been able to read books and see a bigger world than where I was. I grew up in Iowa in a college town. So, you know, a nice sort of a gar- the garden spot of Iowa, Iowa City, very lovely town, you know, nice middle-class life for me. Everything was lovely, but I never felt that that was kind of who I was or where I would fit in. I always knew I would leave somehow. I always wanted to live in New York on the East Coast. And reading reading Harriet the Spy, for example, a popular children's book about a girl in New York City on the Upper East Side who goes to a private school who spies on her friends and neighbors and writes everything down a little notebook, like to know that there were people like that in the world also was really um, so compelling to me. And then to understand that I could create those characters, I could write for other people, but I do think Laura, you're onto something about the healing that and many times writers are kind of writing for themselves. I like to say that writing is the only way I know how to make sense of the world and my place in it. And that doesn't mean that everything I write is specifically about me, but everything is seen through my eyes and sort of my, I guess, intellect to, um, sounds kind of fancy when I say my intellect, but I think that's what I mean, that my view of life the filters into the things I write and that helps me understand who I am and 
how to be in the world. And I don't know how people who don't write do it. I mean, I know there are other artistic pursuits and so on, but writing really has saved me. And books. Yeah. And, and, you know, we found that with these physicians and doctors and, and techs, these people had gone through this, this year of COVID working on the front line and in, in the medical industry mostly. But we found that with them, it was, yeah, it was their experience. It was all the things that, that, and it's, it's true for all of us, even if we're not in that dire situation, there's so many things. First of all, there's all the data, right, that we're absorbing. And then there's just experiences that we have. And mm-hmm. how else can we process that? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, one, one really interesting thing sort of along this line is sort of thinking about the physicality, too, of writing, um, if one is able to handwrite, is that usually... Uh, when I write, I type on a computer, you know, I type my stories, my novels into a computer. But when I do the prompt writing, when I'm trying to sort of access that um, side, deeper side of me that where the unexpected things will pop out, I write by hand. And, you know, my hand gets a little tired at the end and sometimes it's hard to read, but there's something so different and intimate and personal to me about writing by hand in a special little notebook. And then It just feels like the words are coming through me from in a different way than when I type. I mean, both ways are important and I need both of them. And I certainly don't want to even physically handwrite a whole novel. But there's something about that um, thinking something and physically putting it on a page with a pen onto paper that I think does tap into something different than when I'm typing. And several, most of the people in my prompt group do write, um, write by hand uh, for, for prompts and sort of report the same kind of, same kind of feeling. Yeah, me too. It's, it's a whole different experience. And uh, yeah, I I have to start writing with, uh, not always, but most of the time, just to kind of get into something, and then I can revise on the computer. But something about this, I I love what you're saying about the physicality. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about admit this to no one. So okay. I, I I I mentioned a little bit at the beginning. I, I think I I I flubbed it a little bit or fumbled when I was saying it, but it's a story that takes place. Um, in and around DC. There's it's a DC centric story collection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so without getting overtly political or political in a partisan way, I, I thought it might be fun to talk about healing and this town. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Which that's is very time. much what's, you know, there's uh-huh. so much healing that's that's uh either needed or going <laughs> on or not going on, right? In in here. And I mean, of course, well, you've just moved to North Carolina and you're, mm-hmm. um, I'm still in the city, but, um, but you wrote a book about the city and people are affected all over the world. People are affected about what happens here in Washington. So mm-hmm. I, 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 my listeners are all over, but, um, I'm sure they'd be interested in, in this kind of insight into Washington, DC. What needs to, let's start here. What needs to be healed in in this? <laughs> oh goodness! In in, in DC. 
Well, um, okay. So I'll just, uh, um, so I, I, I do live in North Carolina now, but I lived in the DC area for 30 years and I did not, uh, for a little while I did work for a political group and a really crummy, um, job long, long, long ago, but basically I was not in politics. My husband was not in politics, but it's just amazing how being in that area for so long just seeps into you. It just seeps into you. I had no idea kind of until I started writing these stories. And so these stories, they are linked stories. They're all set in Washington, DC. And then also many of them at uh, there's a, a tangled family, a tangled political family with an imaginary speaker of the house, a man, so imaginary. And um, he, uh, he, the Speaker of the House, as you, people probably know, is the third most powerful person in the government, technically. So if the president dies, if the vice president dies, Speaker of the House becomes president. But, you know, that's never happened. And it's it, to me, it's such an interesting conundrum to be so close to being in charge and yet, you know, so far away. And so in my book, this speaker has had a number of families. He's um, he's he's very scandal ridden. And it's kind of amazing. He even is um, speaker of the House. At a certain point, everyone thought he would be president. And he has uh, in, in my book two two daughters that we focus on. One is kind of his favorite daughter, the oldest from the oldest family, the first family before he was important, um, Lexi, and then another daughter, uh, Madison, who is, um, she's 15 when the book starts, and she was from more of a throwaway kind of relationship. And then he also has um, a woman, Mary Grace, who's kind of his all-powerful, all-knowing fixer, who he respects and has never actually, never actually slept with her or anything. So we have this man who is spent his life pursuing power. So that's kind of where I was thinking with the book, you know, thinking about power in all these different, different kinds of dynamics. And what was really where my thoughts went and where people maybe make people in this town need to heal a little bit is to think about what it's like to spend one's whole life pursuing something that is so subjective, so um, ephemeral. And ultimately, like, as I said, this guy's the third most powerful person in the government in America, in the world, not quite the world, but, um, and yet he is powerless to control his personal life. He is powerless to understand these, um, the emotions roiling when he is estranged from his favorite daughter for years and years. And, and this idea that pursuing a life of power, what does that do to you? What does that do to your soul? I do think that many people come to Washington, D.C. because they want to do something good. They, whether it's, you know, work for Greenpeace or be in the government, they, they think they want to do something good. I think most people, um, at least historically. And yet when you get here, you understand that there's this whole apparatus, this whole system that is kind of stacked against making any change whatsoever. <laughs> everything, 
is so slow. Everything is very bureaucratic. There's all kinds of people in the way. You need to suck up to so many people. You need money. You need all these things. And so it's really hard to be somebody who wants to do good and then be sort of shoved up against this this wall, like immovable object. One of my favorite little sayings about Washington, someone told me was like, um, he was, we were talking about politics or something. He said, oh, Leslie, 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 politicians come and go. A bureaucrat is forever. And this, this idea that there is a system here that cannot be changed. And so it's fascinating to me that everybody always wants to elect an outsider And yet the outsider comes up against this system too. So if I could heal something, it might be, I don't know if healing is the right word, but finding a way for people to have patience and strength when they approach this giant system instead of, and instead of becoming cynical and jaded and decide they're just I mean, I don't think it's a conscious decision. You say, I'm just in it for the power, but you like the trappings of the fancy office. You like the pin in your lapel. You like the secret service people following you. Like that becomes why you're in Washington, not the things that brought you there initially. So to find some way to help keep people in Washington, um, I don't know, less cynical, less jaded. To remember... To remember who they were when they when they started. And actually, I think that goes back to what I was saying about the writing and finding the joy in the prompt writing. Why why were you here in the first place? Like think yeah, about that. why are you here and how to get beyond the the, you know, where am I on the totem pole, right? Mm-hmm. Which exists mm-hmm. in the critique group also, right? How do I mm-hmm. measure up? Who am, am mm-hmm. I right? Am I am I the the star? the the star student or the star participant and yeah and all of that you know what it makes me think of too I know my own personal um sexual healing journey of course uh, (laughs) very publicly is uh is informed by abuse right by Mm -hmm. this journey from abuse and but I think a lot about abuse as a form of a, a very severe and traumatic form of powerlessness and of at its course. heart, that's what it is. It's powerlessness. And so to heal what I've found in myself and in different, uh, you know, different communities I've existed in, different survivors I've worked with, is there is an empowerment part of it. There is a, a reclaiming or even claiming for the first time a sense of power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but what you're saying is so relevant and so interesting in that context because often when we are in search of power we only think of it in these crude terms Mm -hmm. right right like okay Mm -hmm. I I didn't have power that's why I was taken advantage of now I'm going to have power and power is going to be not necessarily thinking about being president but something like oh okay I'm going to have this thing and I'm going to be on top and Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to wield power over others yeah right but maybe it's not that it's something else. 
Well, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because um, so I spent, you know, all this time thinking about power, being in D.C. Uh, as I worked on the book, think about power. What does it mean? And I, I became like so jaded and, and feeling so kind of bad in, in a way or, you know, rough, rough. I felt very harsh. And as I was working on the book during the pandemic, uh, I had in mind this, you know, dark, bitter ending, this sort of resolution that would be, you know, really traumatic and all, the, all this very dramatic. And what actually arose was a story that's kind of hopeful that actually I, I, I think it was that same subconscious that that arises to the occasion. And the prompt group was like, you're working during a pandemic. You know, politics is so hard. People don't want to read that dark, dramatic, terrible ending in your mind. People want to have some hope. The world still is filled with hope and that power is not just something evil. It can be good. It can be used for good and it can feel good to have it and it can feel good for the right reasons. And so that is exactly what happens in, I will say also a dramatic way um, with the final story in the book, which surprised me, surprised me so much that I came up with this hopeful-ish, <laughs> hopeful-ish outcome for, for one of the characters. And what was weird, I am never someone who says, oh, my character just took over and wrote for me. But it was, it was, this character is very forceful. This is Madison, the young, the younger daughter. And it was almost like I, I was writing, I had this thing in my head and something else came up and it was almost like, I was like, this is the end. This could be the ending. Is this the ending? It was almost like Madison was like, this is the ending. I want, I want something hopeful for my life. And I, I love that, you know, and I, I was powerless before I was powerless before Madison. It was like, <laughs> this is the ending. All right. How cool. And um, I think it, it, it's, it may be the story that I'm the most proud of because it surprised me in such an interesting way. And it's hard sometimes to, um, as a writer, you're you're sort of steeped in finding conflict and keeping plots moving. It's hard to um, find something joyful. Wow, let's uh, let's move on to some maybe advice or even maybe leading people in some process if they want to work with a writing prompt. So, can you like maybe just talk us through? Let's say I wanted to either do this in a group or or do this mm -hmm, for myself. Mm -hmm. What, how shall I do it? Oh, excellent. Well, first of all, you will be delighted to know it's so easy. Um, so you can start a group really easily. You can start a group of two people. So if you have a friend who's interested, that is more than enough people for a group, or you can collect some people. I literally just put a listing on my neighborhood listserv for people who are interested in sort of exploring their creativity. And, uh, you know, we, people came and went for a little while until a, a solid core um, evolved, but it really was as easy as that. Or sometimes, you know, I need, I need to write prompts um, 
for myself. I can't wait a month. So I will do it myself. Also, I'll just write prompts by myself. I'll go to a coffee shop or in the pandemic, I was sitting in my car in a parking lot writing to prompts. So whatever, whatever works for you, the best rule of writing prompts is to have no rules. So I say what works for you. But the idea is to an ideal world, right by hand. I know, I know people may not be able to, but if you think you can try that right by hand. And then for me, what I would do when I was by myself, I would go into the coffee shop, get my coffee. And I try and just kind of observe a word that somebody said, and it, trust me, it doesn't have to be any amazing special word. It can just be a normal word. Here's your receipt. Oh, receipt. Okay. That's a word. And then I would sit down and write to receipt. And I'd, uh, by I myself, a timer? yeah, I would set 15 minutes. I mean, that's what works for me. Uh, at this point, I almost can tell when 15 minutes are up and uh, do 15 minutes. And then I would pause and see if another word sort of floated up or just if there was a word in my mind. And then I'd write for another 15 minutes or so to that. And sometimes what I would do, I would do that if I had nothing, nothing to say. But often when I'm writing a prompt by myself, I will have a scene that I'm trying to work on in a story, or I'm trying to sort out a character. I'm trying to understand who Madison is, say. So I might think I'm going to write about Madison today. Receipt. Oh, okay. Blah, 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 blah. And in my writing group, which is slightly more formal, I have a numbered list of, you know, 12 words. And again, very ordinary words like anniversary, basement, microphone, lipstick. I mean, the, the world the world is filled with words. They, they can just be very normal. And so they're numbered. And we will pick two numbers at random. And then I'll say, oh, number eight. Okay, anniversary. Then we write for 15 minutes. And then the second, uh, number three, microphone. Okay, microphone. And then we, then we write. And again, you can share by reading out loud or not. You don't have to tell people if it's something true. You, you just do whatever you want. One woman writes poems. Um, all, any anything you want to do, and I would like to just to convey sort of how different things can be. One of my favorite um, times. Oh, for a while, someone would bring objects in. You could do that too if if the words don't um, meet your what, what you're looking for. And she brought in a piece of sandpaper, and um, somebody said in a sentence, "His hand, his beard felt like sandpaper when I touched his face." That was the only appearance of sandpaper. I wrote all about how my father refinished our basement and I remember him sanding things. So you just see nobody was wrong. Nobody was right. You just do whatever keeps you writing and whatever keeps you interested. So that's sort of the, the general parameters of how it works, works for me. Um, that's yeah. Really it, helpful. Yeah. Just keep writing in the same little notebook too is something I like, I like to do. And I think you'll be surprised. It may take a, you may not get, oh, and if, if you don't like what you've written, that's okay. I really cannot repeat that enough. Don't stress out if you don't think it's good. You only wrote for half an hour. Like, come on. Like, what do you, what do you expect? Just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just try it again. It takes, it takes us, um, it often takes us a while when new people come into the group to sort of get into that groove of, um, 
how 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 to how to relax, I would say, and just let go and let go of that voice in your head saying, this isn't very interesting. This isn't good enough. You know, that voice has no place in prompt writing. Yeah. And I mean, that can be an exercise in and of itself, right? To work, trying to just put that voice somewhere. Mm -hmm. So you said that when you're doing this and if you're working on a scene or a story or something that you might be say, okay, well, let me see what what's going on with Madison. Um, But if people are not pursuing something literary in their lives, maybe it could be perhaps uh, a situation like or an emotion or something Mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, okay, the word is microphone, but let me see if that fight with my brother, you know, or. (laughs) Well, then you just say my brother's voice is loud as a microphone, Mm. you know, or my my brother's voice is so loud he doesn't need a microphone. You know, there's always a way. And honestly, again, there's literally no rules. So if you don't even use the word microphone, it's not like we will kick you out of the group. (laughs) It's all good. They won't kick you out of the coffee shop either. No, (laughs) you will be fine. You will be fine. You will be fine. I mean, um, I, I think a lot of people in in the group who write about their real life and the times I've written about my real life, it's more typical, but again, not right or wrong, but it just feels that um, coming as a blank slate and then hearing the word microphone that reminds you of that time in seventh grade when you had the crush on the boy in the AV club or whatever, like to be the blank slate brings mm. wrong. And then makes connections that maybe that had something to do with your relationship with your brother. So in a way, I think letting your subconscious guide a little bit is helpful, I have found. But again, if you come to write prompts and you want to write about that fight with your brother, then, you know, do that. Yeah, because uh, I think... uh you know, the brain is, is always connecting dots. And, exactly. Uh, and, and healing is, uh, has the same etymology as, as wholeness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And wholeness is uh, mm-hmm. right. We can think of that, the connection of dots as, as, uh, inherently healing or, or. Oh, whole. for sure. Yeah. I love thinking, I love how you phrase that and thinking about that. And, um, yeah. And it just, it feels, it feels good when you see those things coming together and it feels maybe a little empowering. Like yeah. there is some controlling purpose somewhere in my head working to understand all this. And maybe that's when I was saying writing saves me. That's how I process and understand. Maybe that's what I mean that uh, you could assign me right now, a story about a microphone I have nothing to say about microphones, and yet my brain would force me to find a way to write that story down. And that's one of the things, I mean, as I said, you can do prompts by yourself, but one of the powers of doing it with a group is that slight bit of pressure that if you're in person or if you're on Zoom, you look up, everybody else is writing, and you're like, I don't have anything to say about microphone, geez, Louise. Uh, uh, your brain will find something because of that pressure of seeing the other people working. On the other hand, you know, those other people, they don't care what you write or not, you know, so there really is no pressure, but your brain kind of tricks you a little bit and gets you, gets you moving. And I, I love, I love that feeling. And, and then you learn to trust 
oh, well, this is a weird word, but something will come up and it does. So you trust yourself. Yeah. I can't remember what the word was. The last, oh, mobile, like mobile phone was the word in our, one of the words in our last meeting. And I said it out loud and everyone was like, and everybody wrote really amazing stuff that time. It's just, you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. And I love it. We'll, we'll end it there, Leslie, because I want to end on this note of trusting oneself since that just as runs, you know, at the core, I mean, it's in the core of, of being an artist in the world, but being a citizen in the world and being a, a person and finding health and, and, and happiness and, and, uh, and wholeness. So thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about your writing process and, and prompts. And I, I'll have the, the, uh, all the information, the links to, uh, to purchase Leslie's book. It's, it's just phenomenal. It really, really is a, a fantastic book. You're, I just, I just always love your, the way that you're, you're so insightful with Uh, people and there's so, there's just so much in there. So thank thank you you again. And uh, welcome to Sexual Healing Central. Thank you for being a guest here. Thank you. It was really wonderful, Laura. You're doing such wonderful work. Thank you for um, inviting me to participate in it.